You're listening to Shut Up and Watch This, episode 13. Hello, you're listening to Shut Up and Watch This, episode number 13. I'm Dave. I'm Ashley. We're a couple getting to know each other by uncovering each other's media and pop culture blind spots and sharing the must-see movies and guilty pleasures from our pasts. This week, Ashley got to choose, and Ashley chose Pushing Daisies, a TV show from, what, 2007 to 2009, ran on ABC. Yes. By Brian Fuller. Yes. And it is loosely, um, it's sort of a comedy drama hour-long show um, about a guy named Ned who's a pie maker in a small town. When he's a boy, he learns that he has the gift to restore life. He can touch a dead person, they come back to life. Unfortunately, soon after this, he um, brings his mother back to life when something terrible happens to her. And he learns that one of the rules uh, of the game is that for every life restored, another life has to be taken. And this leads to uh, his childhood sweetheart's um, dad dropping dead beside him. Years go by. We join the pie man as an adult. And now he is uh, has a strange life where he works with um, Emerson. Uh, uh, Cod. Emerson Cod, the small-time detective who knows about his power, who's found out about his power. And um, basically they uh, the series follows them as they go around... Uh, trying to make money, I guess, mm. off of um, uh, investigating uh, dead people's murders, in, mm. which usually entails going to the morgue, touching the dead person, so they wake up um, a dead person that Ned can, uh, ar- ar- arouses, that doesn't sound like the right word, <laughs> <laughs> raises from the dead? How wakes, about raises for the dead? Wakes from the dead. Will only, the will dead. only be alive for one minute before dying again at, the, at a touch? Yeah. Is that right? I'm getting. I'm, I told well, you. Well, I think I think we're we weren't supposed to get into we, the rules yet. I know, so. but do you realize the whole premise is dependent on this? <laughs> okay, because what I didn't tell you, I told you I can't do summaries. <laughs> okay, it's so a the, high concept so show. The last thing we need to know: we've got Ned with the power to restore life. Um, the uh, one of the people he restores in episode one, the pilot, the first show that we watched, is his childhood sweetheart Chuck, um, Charlotte Chuck, nickname. The one whose dad he inadvertently killed when he brought his mother back to life. Mm-hmm. And uh, now he has the opportunity to bring her back to life, which upsets its own chain of you know balance yeah. and chain reaction, that sort of thing. So now we have this trio. We mm-hmm. have Ned, the pie maker. We have Chuck, the girl next door, and uh, who has to try and solve the mystery of her own death. Yeah. And we've got Emerson, the detective, who's part of the whole scheme. Yeah. Um, and I guess we should mention Olive. Yes, Olive. Olive. Olive Schnook. Olive Schnook, played by the delightful Kristen Chenoweth. Is yes. that how you say her name? I think who that's right. uh, pines for him. She works in his pie shop, pining for him. Yes. <laughs> and uh, would love the uh, the uh, lovely pie maker to fall for her. And, and she, she has noticed that he doesn't touch... Very many things. Very many things. Yeah. Because, well... Touching a dead person brings them back and upsets that whole kind of thing. Okay, well, that took an awful long time. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we decided for the purposes of this program today, uh, podcast, we watched um, three episodes. Yes. And so that was kind of new because, you know, we just started trying to grapple with TV shows on the podcast. We did The Prisoner last time and we only looked at two episodes. This time we looked at three. And um, so we looked at the pilot, which I think is called Pilot. 
like P-I-E. Mm, yes. Um, where we get introduced to the three rules. We bring back Chuck, the girl next door, and start that whole thing. We watched episode two, Dummy, which has mm. this whole kind of shenanigans about crash test dummies and a mystery yes. involving a really crappy Daisy kind of newfangled car. Mm. And... Um, the third one we watched was The Fun in Funeral, which I swear to God, we watched yesterday and today I could not remember what it was about. Yeah. It which was is about, problematic to me. Well, it brought back the, the funeral director That's, from the first episode right. um, and makes Ned tell, right. tell Chuck the truth about how someone had to die in order for her to live, which is, you know, getting into the rules there, but... Uh, Hold off on that because the first thing I need to ask you is why did you choose this for us to watch this time and talk about on the show? So it's, it wasn't actually, it isn't in my list of things. Um, We happened across it at Half Price Books and I was like, holy crap, that's a good show. I remember watching 10 years ago now. Um, And it's, it's sort of got a cult following. Brian, Brian Fuller has this way of making shows that people really get into and then they just it's like a very small niche of people mm-hmm. or and because i mean if if you look at this it's it's kind of twee it's a little dark it's it's more fun than tim burton but it sort of has those sort of tim mm-hmm. burton elements definitely yeah um so it's like it really only appeals to a small group of people but there are a small group of people who are very passionate mm-hmm. about things so really like, so this has yeah. like a passionate following yes it it's or a, brian it's, fuller it's a does in general cult show but i mean like okay. his other ones that he did i think wonder falls which got started and didn't get very far okay dead like me which was a showtime show i know i've never seen dead like me i feel like i might have tried wonder falls but i don't remember it I've never seen American Gods. Which we need to see because I well, love, this, I love no, American Gods. So knowing so. this show, I love the book American yeah. Gods. So knowing this show, it'll be now I feel like I have more to go on in terms yeah. of what to expect with American Gods. So he, I think he does good with like... And Hannibal. Yeah, right? Han- which I've never, I haven't seen. I haven't seen that. That's not my thing. No. Um, well, it's totally my thing, but I've just never seen I can't, it. <laughs> ever since I had kids, I can't watch serial, serial killer killers, things, yeah. like very sparingly. And yet we went to a Jack the Ripper, uh, a very graphic Jack the Ripper thing in London. Anyway. It's one of the, you gotta, <laughs> if you go to London, you have to go on the East End Jack the Ripper walking tour at night. It's very well, atmospheric. That one is, yeah. um, you know, anyway. Anyway. We'll <laughs> so be sharing he, highlights from yeah, our travels with you along the way. Yes. Um, anyway, it, um, there was... I don't know, all the... He's very good at sort of combining the sort of dark themes, you know, with death and and with the sort of a fan, fantasy, fantastical mm-hmm. stuff. And I, I think American Gods is a great, you know... A I good hope match for it him. It seems to be successful, although I think he's departed from there as well. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I haven't really followed much about the American Gods ser- show, but I was confused that it was even a series because, of course, I think yeah. of it as a self-contained, very big novel. Yeah. But um, I guess what I, I, you know, I have always sort of liked the the combo of like dark humor. It's mm-hmm. like it's my favorite genre. You know, I like when comedies deal with serious things. This one deals with it kind of not in a very realistic way, but it's still very mm-hmm. enjoyable. I love all the bright colors. I love Chuck's 50s style dresses that she wears all the time. 60s and 50s style dresses all the time. Okay, so that was funny. I love the ants when we get to them. Susie Kurtz and um, Ellen Green. Ellen Green. I love both of them. Susie. Ellen Green, Little Shop of Horrors. That's the first thing I saw her in. I don't 
think I've seen it other oh than Oh my god. Yeah. Have you not seen that movie? Not all the way through. I remember trying oh. to watch part of it behind the couch when my parents were all right, watching we need it to and watch then I got it caught with, uh, and sent to bed. Fiona so. Sky, I think, yeah. <laughs> um would dig that, especially because my daughter yeah. Fiona, my fourteen year old's going through like a kick where she's really into musicals uh, right yeah. now and weird musicals, so she might like that. Yeah. I guess Hamilton's not that weird, but some of the other ones she likes are weird. So I mean I just remembered it as something I liked. Um it was, this is a victim of the writer's strike. Um, it got... At what point did the writer's strike affect the show? So they, um, in 2007 in May, they got picked up for 13 episodes. And then after it premiered, it did so well. It did really well when it premiered. Um, they ordered a full a full order of 21 right. or 22, um, which was the standard at the time. And then after nine scripts had been written and produced... The writer's strike came on, and then there were no more scripts, so there were only nine episodes in the first season. Uh-huh. Um, it got picked up for a second season for 13 episodes, but I guess the momentum was gone at that point, and it just... They canceled it without showing the full order of 13 that it got for the second season. So they never produced... Did they, they ne- produce them and not show them, or they just went they out They produced them, but the last three episodes they never showed. Did they um, release those on DVD? Yeah, they're on the DVD. Have you seen them? No, I haven't. Oh. Yeah. Hey, so I if we hang in the there with this run, show, we'll, yeah. we'll see more than was broadcast. Yeah. So I, I don't. It I guess just, Firefly had that happen too, sort of. And but. then, but you know, the first season, the nine episodes got all these Emmy awards, and mm-hmm. you know, for best director for Barry Sonnen, Kristen Chenoweth, yeah, for um, best supporting actress. She's great in this. This is the first thing I'd seen her in. So I feel like I'd seen her on Glee. Yeah, but I obviously I'm watching this now, and I haven't yeah. seen her in many other things. But I always knew she was like a great comedian, but also like a great singer. Yeah, she's, she's um, from Broadway. She started. Oh, okay. I think her big big break was Wicked. She was the oh I didn't know that the the yeah, sister, yeah, yeah, yeah. the it, Adina Menzel. She was the sister. Um, I guess Dina Menzel was the Wicked sister, and she was the the fairy godmother yeah. one, the good one, whatever Glenda. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't read the book. So, so I was really, fi- except for Kristen Chenoweth and Susie Kurtzenell and Green, the ants, mm-hmm. these sort of side characters, I really wasn't very familiar with any of the leads in this show. Mm-mm. I mean, and I, I feel I, I shirked my duty by not telling in the synopsis that Ned's played by Lee Pace, who I I don't know if I've ever seen also it before. Also a cult following, you know. For him? <laughs> yes, for him Has he been another Brian Fuller thing? He's been another Brian Fuller okay. stuff, yeah. And then Chuck... Like, I looked at you and was like, who is that? She's, like, really familiar. And you're like, oh, they just cast sort of a Zoe Deschanel type or something. Well, right? I, I, I think my exact words was Zoe Deschanel-looking motherfucker was what I said. <laughs> okay. Well, this must be at the height of, like, Zoe Deschanel, 500 Days of Summer, kind yeah. of maybe the new girl about to start or yeah, something like that. Yeah, I think like it that. was about because to start. Because they have, she dresses like Zoe Deschanel and, and, yeah. and, like, it's like she and him, you know, right? Yeah. She looks like that kind of look. With, yeah. Um, but she's English from Manchester. Yep. Did you know that? I didn't know I that. Did. I Anna Friel? Is that Well, and she dated, um, uh, what's his I name? I don't usually Naked. look up who they date. Well, you know, the thing is... Oh, that, that makes more yeah. sense now because he's from Manchester. I was yeah. like, why did this random American act, fake Zoe Deschanel? Uh, well, they dated for like 10 years or something okay. like that. But yeah, well, that must have been... A little weird connection yeah. when I was looking at their uh, Wikipedia page. This connects back to uh, our episode on Naked because yes. David Thewlis was the terrible misogynistic, you know, ranting and raving lunatic from, from Naked. Yeah. So 
Um, I'm sure they had a delightful, warm relationship for 10 years. Yes. And actually, no, we shouldn't assume that actors are yeah. the same as the characters they play. That's true. I... <laughs> Although he did bring that character to uh, into the room to develop from improvisation. Yeah. But anyway, we're going astray. <laughs> uh, so I just, I remember what I like are little interesting details. I mean, and this show is like abounds with that sort of thing. Um, it just, I love the little town that they came from, although, um... Can I tell you yes. what I don't like? <laughs> Here, here's the unfortunate nitpicker, Dave. It drives me up the wall that, um, the town name, Cour de Cour, mm-hmm. Heart of Hearts in French, is, like, totally misspelled. Totally. Totally the misspelled. E is in the the wrong e place. is in the wrong place. <laughs> How this made this introduction and onto the big sign in front of the house and all that kind of thing. Um, Americans I really still learn French. They learn Spanish. They worry learn other about, languages. <laughs> I mean, I, I respect Brian Fuller. I love so many other things about that show, but it's just, I'm really confused as to how that got, got all the way to episode three, three before, before they they, they, they just corrected it on, on a note on the pie box or something. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, not a big deal, so but kind I, of a big deal, yeah, don't you think? I think we should go back and talk about... Uh, the the pilot and how the rules are established because can, maybe it's a you very can... it's a very high concept show. They actually they have a narrator and the narrator serves the purpose to explain all the stuff that's in place. Um, so the first episode is very much explaining all of that, and then like throughout the other episodes, they kind of do a short synopsis of the reminding you what ha- it's kind of like the prisoner they have a reminder of what happened in <laughs> in the first part okay of, <laughs> you know they have the well but they have house. to find it they have yeah. to they have to tell you the rules at it, every time yeah. but they have they do it in a different way they do. like they show like a different flashback scene exactly. that that fills in another element about bringing it usually goes back to his boyhood yeah. and shows you some other formative moment when he's learning how about his powers yeah it's it's interesting so ned has the power to bring people back to life um, and he discovers this because he's running in a field with his dog. His dog runs out into the road and is hit by a car. So he goes and looks at his dog and touches him, and the dog comes back to life. Um, so that's rule one, is he can touch a dead thing and it will come back to life. Um, later, I mean, they sort of hint at rule two, which is they show Digby running and a squirrel falls out of a tree. And that kind of hints at the second rule. Um, but you don't hear about the second rule really until his mom has an aneurysm later that day, I assume. Um, is it a rule that touching something twice makes them die again forever? Yes, but we don't find out about that yet okay. either. So, so the second rule that he finds out is um, his mom dies of an aneurysm while she's making a pie for him. So there's some... Hey, he becomes a pie maker. Yeah, there's He's some stuff there. got some deep there. psychology going on here. <laughs> uh, pretty, pretty self-explanatory, okay. obvious kind of stuff. Um so he touches his mom and she comes back to life. And then um, when she's alive a minute, uh, Chuck's dad, who is outside, you know, watering the lawn, his best friend, childhood sweetheart sort of thing, her dad just keels over and dies. Um, and it's sad and terrible. And then... It's a reference yeah. to Blue Velvet, my friends. He's it's, out there with the, the hose, just like Kyle MacLachlan's dad in the opening of Blue Velvet, who dies in you know watering the lawn same kind of shot it's been so long since i've seen blue velvet so then later that night uh ned's mom is tucking him into bed and she kisses him on the head and then she dies immediately so then he finds out rule three which is if he touches the person he revived again they die and they're dead permanently Mm -hmm. 
So then we have the scene of the two funerals where Chuck's dad is being buried and Ned's mom is being buried. Mm -hmm. And so this forms a secret that he keeps from Chuck, which is that he's responsible for her father's death. And, you know, fast forward years later, you know, he's watching the news and he sees someone died on a on a boat and mm-hmm. it's Chuck. Chuck is dead. So he wants murdered, to, strangled. Murdered, yes. Um, There's a reward for her, for her, mm-hmm. and for solving her murder. And mm-hmm. Emerson wants the reward. So they go and he revives Chuck and he can't. So the fist, first yeah. mystery that they deal with is yeah. the one that, that is Chuck. Yes. But the, I don't think we figure out who did it. I no, mean, you, I'm, I was wondering about that. I was asking you yesterday, like, <laughs> Did they resolve all of that or not? And I really wasn't sure. I think... And you you said yeah. you think it plays out a bit more through the series. I think 2007 is really when they started ramping up the sort of serialized television shows. Mm-hmm. So this one has the ongoing mystery of Chuck's... Why Chuck died. Who wanted her... De- who killed her? That sort of thing. Okay, but take us into this central dynamic of, you know, he raises Chuck from the dead. Yeah. So Ned went off to boarding school. Chuck stayed in her small town and they grew up and Chuck stayed in her small town the whole time. Ned created a pie shop in a busy, busy city. Um, They haven't seen each other since they were kids, but when he goes and he revives her, he remembers how much he felt about her and he hasn't really felt much about anyone since his mom died, essentially. So he can't bring himself to, touch her and kill her again in that minute in the minute has that minute yeah otherwise she stays alive so the funeral director as a result the the awful terrible funeral director who steals from corpses uh which feeds into episode three later on exactly um dies in order for chuck to live but ned keeps that a secret from her and he also keeps a secret from her that he's responsible for killing her father, you know, so. Yes, but he does let her into that he just revived her from the dead. Yeah. And she becomes the the part of the trio now. Well, and I think along one of them. the things about it is that the people who are dead remember dying. Like, they never have to. They're not like, oh, my God, am I dead? You know, half of them are like, is this heaven? Yeah. Or something like that. So I think that the people remember that they're dead. Yeah. Well, anyway... The attraction is there between them right away on her side, too, because after all, he just brought her back from the dead Mm -hmm. and he's the cute guy from next door. And the and this is intriguing to her. And also she got murdered. And what was that all about? You know, so she insinuates herself into this whole deal he's got going with Emerson, the detective. And so, you know, I can't say beyond the first three episodes, but we seem to have this structure now where the three of them investigate these little Scooby Doo mysteries that involve dead people while also more importantly, I think, develops the relationship between Ned and Chuck. Yeah. And and all of the stakes that exist between them. Well, what I think is interesting is, you know, he can't touch her, but they have this relationship developing, this romantic relationship developing. And so they find all these different ways to sort of be close to each other without touching, which well, I think is kind of cute. This is, one of, this is like <laughs> one of the most interesting things about the show to me. Yeah. Like, I think so far the the weekly mystery is pretty forgettable yeah. to me. Like, and that's not the strong point of the show. The strong point of the show is... Um, you know, falling in love with somebody or having this like emotional connection between these two, but they can't touch each other. Yeah. 
Okay. And yet they want to be close together. She wants to sit next to him in the car. She wants to reach across and touch his hand and they absolutely cannot touch or she'll die. She'll drop dead again. Yeah. It's, it's interesting what, what she, and you know, it's interesting to see Ned open up. Who's like at the beginning of the show is very closed off, you know, he can't, he, he, he can't he connect with people. stays distant from people. Yeah. He, he doesn't want to touch them. He doesn't want to get emotionally involved because it can lead to loss and death and all that other yeah. stuff. It's, it's people come and go and Ned <laughs> keeps going on with yeah. this strange power. Well, and the only one who sticks around, of course, is Olive, who's the, um, the heart sick, mm-hmm. love sick, uh, waitress who loves Ned and, you know okay so if we had to make <laughs> if we had to make a list of favorite scenes in the first three episodes we've watched i think my favorite scene so far is Kristen Chenoweth's musical number mm-hmm. where she sings hopelessly devoted <laughs> to you straight out of Greece uh, in the bursts into it while pining for him in the middle of the the shop at late yeah. you know at night after it's closed and then the guy comes in to clean the floor with the, you know, yeah. wax the floor with the buffing machine and he's got headphones on. And so it's treated yeah. like, you know, she's actually singing this number yeah. and the guy's actually dancing along to his own music that he's listening yeah. to on his headphones with his back turned. And she keeps getting interrupted, but yeah. it's just so good. Well, it has that camera work like a musical number yeah. too, like the up above shots. And, but she you know, knows she's yeah. like not in a musical. She's yeah. actually... Like this moment is a musical moment yeah. in her life and she just bursts into song and it's just so great. I mean, I, I would have uh, Emmy award for that scene yeah, almost. It's good. But she, that's the moment. She's so good. That's she about just... where, so I was irritated with her at first because I thought I saw the show just, I thought the show was going to use her as just kind of a one dimensional foil, you mm-hmm. know, to just kind of be an irritant in the works, you know, who knows too much. And I, she, clearly she's going to do that to some extent. Yeah. But they gave her a whole character and her emotions of her own and conflicts and stuff like that. And, and she's a much more interesting person than I thought she was going to be. Yeah. And probably moments like the hopelessly devoted to you musical number mm-hmm. was what was like made me kind of sit up and say, OK, yeah. there's more going on <laughs> to here. Give this time. But that, now she's a really interesting and character. And I look forward to when she comes on screen. Yeah. You know. So she's she's kind of she's not one dimensional. She's kind of figuring things out as as and stumbling into things because yeah. like in the third episode she actually uh, Chuck makes a pie with mood enhancers to give to her aunts who are depressed antidepressants. Yeah, <laughs> um, her aunts who she grew up with. Yeah, um, I love they're fantastic. Both oh, they were the mermaids. So tell the thing. Right? Okay, the, so they were the they were former like vaudeville style performers, and they did like a water show called the Darling Mermaid Darlings. Um, and like <laughs> I just I just love name. this because I have seen a mermaid show at Aquarina Springs in San yeah. Marcos. Like this is a real thing. like the remnants <laughs> of vaudeville like thirties yeah. kind of shows. They had this still at oh, and Swoozy's only got one eye one for eye. some reason. Yeah. She had an accident or something. I can't. They, so, they explained what it was. And I, don't I don't know. Don't remember they what are it was. this fantastic sort of. They're almost like Grey Gardens kind of the, like exactly. the elderly eccentric <laughs> ants shut into the. I mean, they do leave the house and stuff like that, and they're. But and they're not totally bat shit crazy. No, they're but, just a little. Um, they have. Uh, but it is kind of. They have that. twin social anxiety disorders yeah. or something like that. I think is what they explained. Oh, that went right over yeah, my head. I don't um, remember that. It's. I think it's in the first episode. But I love that they they love they're cheese loving ants. So like they have um, 
They have a refrigerator that's completely stocked with cheese, and Chuck calls it the cheese box because that's what they called it. Mm -hmm. They didn't call it a refrigerator. They called it a cheese box. And the pie that Chuck makes for them actually has Gruyere baked into the crust, which is my first experience with cheese in crust of pie, which apparently is a thing Mm. (laughs) (laughs) that I've learned from my cooking. Yay. But, like, it's just, like, there's all these, like, details on top of details. And as you watch the show, there's actually more and more that's revealed, um... But, like, I just love the set design. Like, the mm. the ant's house is fantastic. It's got all these okay. little details and Here's where we and, depart a little yeah. bit. I'm having <laughs> trouble with the look of the show and mm. the tone, tone to a certain extent. Yeah. And I don't know if it's because I haven't seen enough to, like, really feel immersed in it. But my experience of, like, what you're describing, like bright colors yeah garish kind Mm -hmm. of fake i'm having trouble with that yeah it reminds me of i mean it does remind me of i was trying to think of like if you were pitching the show to producers to get it made or something how you would describe the look that you're going for like this meets that or something and what i can come up with is something like um pleasantville meets tim burton or um, willy wonka or something it's so i i think it has I guess it has almost the the schmaltzy garishness of like candy and pie or something to a certain extent. Everything's kind of these greens and yellows and I don't know. It's not my favorite thing. It's kind of reminds me, and I haven't seen it in years and years, but the sort of like cartoonish nature of, um, well, two of them, Mm -hmm. Dick Tracy. Yeah. And then... I don't think I ever actually the, saw the Dick Batman, Tracy. Tim Burton Batman. I know I saw that. Yeah. Back, but I saw it back then. I didn't ever you really know, go back. It's kind of like a comic book come it, to life it kind is. of well, thing. Well, it's or a story or a fable yeah. or like a tall tale or mm-hmm. something like that. So I understand where it comes from. It's just, I don't know. It's not my favorite thing to look at. It's not my yeah. favorite <laughs> kind of aesthetic. Well, and to be, to be fair, well, I love the ant's house. I think it's fantastic. It's just like such a weird yeah. menagerie of, of stuff, that like a big stuffed partridge. And it's like overly detailed. It looks like an old Victorian like candy style house with... Um, so I like the ant's house. Um, but mostly I just love Chuck's costumes. I think they're fantastic. <laughs> Um, I'll have to pay more attention because yeah, I just can picture sort she, of a generic Chuck costume. They're brightly costume in my colored, mind. but they're very... Um, like she was wearing like a Jackie O style mushroom mm, cap in the mm-hmm. last one. She had this beautiful like yellow coat with an orange dress under it. Um, mm-hmm. That's done in the sort of Dior, you know, tiny waist sort of fifty late forties, fifties style. Um, and I just, I just love it. I just, you know, that's my, my, my thing. You know, yeah. So. But it's very much like you're, you're watching it from a distance to yeah. me. I mean, cause it has that storybook feel. So, um, like, especially the flashbacks, you know, yeah. you've got the daisies on the hillside yeah. and people kind of like the camera pushes in an exaggerated sort of Tim Burton way. And people yeah. like look directly at the camera. You've got the narrator explaining everything yeah. and people turning and delivering that one clever line. All of a sudden, it's all very much like we're just a story. We're just a movie. Don't take this too seriously. Yeah. But the what's successful about it is you do start taking those character dynamics seriously. Yeah. I still care. I mean, I'm still interested to see what plays out between um, Ned and Chuck and yeah. and and all of that. 
but um, I, I don't know. It's, well, it's interesting. Like I was reading about it, but like the only everybody wears bright colors. Like uh, Olive wears, she has an orange dress and a green dress. Those mm-hmm. are her uniform. That's what she wears. Chuck wears the brightly colored stuff. Emerson is wearing like a lot of purple. And I think mm-hmm. green, maybe. And then uh, Ned just wears black. That's what he wears. He wears black jeans and a black T-shirt, I think, most oh, of the yeah. time. Wow. He doesn't wear any colors at all, you know. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. I'm taking so much of the hole in that I'm, I'm still not seeing details like yeah. that. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I like, I really respond to its, like, quirky sensibility and its silliness mm. and the overall light tone i think the concept is fantastic i really like the stakes that are involved in having this power and then also you know falling in love with somebody and (laughs) you and you can't ever really touch or be intimate although you were starting to allude to this earlier how cool and clever the series is and the characters are in finding different ways to subvert that right they kiss each other through plastic wrap in the kitchen while making pies (laughs) you know right in front of their faces and they can kiss each other they build the divider in between Mm. the front seat and the passenger seat because chuck gets sick of always having to sit in the back back, yeah so they don't accidentally brush hands (laughs) or touch and then he installs a glove he installs a glove so she can reach through and hold his hand so all of that is really i don't know yeah it's cute the show yeah i'm enjoying it and i think probably the biggest argument in favor of that this is working mostly for me is um i'm the one who said can we watch a third episode yeah. and is the second <laughs> is two episodes enough to get a sense of the show and i didn't really think it was because i couldn't tell like what what the show was really going to be about yeah you know because a pilot is always a pilot it's always its own thing it, it has to set up everything all the characters and now we're kind of falling into that rhythm of the sort of mystery of the week. Mm. And, but with, uh, you know, deepening, I hope, the relationships yeah. and the complications that come out of all of knowing about what's going on or the ants do or don't know, who you know. So there's a lot. I mean, and I, I, like I said, I think I only saw the first season. I don't know if I saw the second season, but you've find out in the coming episodes a lot more about Emerson, a lot more about the ants, a lot more about Okay. about what happened to Chuck this is initially, good because you know. a couple of thoughts on that. Right now, I think Emerson is one of the weak spots in yeah. the show in the first 3 episodes because I literally keep thinking to myself, what does he even add to this dynamic? I can't figure out like so so I you you she's you can't see her but she's smiling at me with sort of a knowing like oh yeah. you'll find out oh, yeah. but right now I feel like you know if Ned wants to carry on doing this little thing about waking up dead people and solving mysteries like what does he even need Emerson for other than to give him the kick in the pants to do something in life yeah. you know to like drag him along on these adventures yeah. but story wise plot wise character wise dynamic wise I like the actor, and I, I can't remember. I, I, what's his name? Chi McBride? Mm. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Yeah. I mean, I've seen him a million things. He's great. Yeah. But but like in terms of in terms of the di- like where the where the series is in three episodes, and if I had to judge it on that, there's not much going on with that character right now. And um, so I'm glad to hear that there's going to be more yeah. because I feel that's a flaw right now. Well, I, I was trying to think of the dynamic between them because I think that, you know, in the structure that we have, like Emerson represents a part of Ned's personality, just like Chuck represents okay, that's a part of yeah. Ned's personality. And she 
you know, brought something back to his life that he was missing, which is this life, interest in life and love and, and the world. You know, she's so curious and she wants to go out and see things and try things and do things. And that's something Ned hasn't been doing. But then the other side is Emerson's the sort of practical thing, like, you know, you know, he's concerned about making sure bills are paid and mm-hmm. that, you know, you and know, otherwise the, the um, rules are followed. Ned and, and Chuck would just yeah. go off into their own little private yeah, world yeah. together. He so. would let her, you know, yeah. Endanger everything <laughs> yeah, really too. Cause he's got to kind of, he's the one to kind of say, let's keep the eye on the ball here yeah. sort of thing. Well, I, th- I think it's funny how they, you know, introduce, uh, Emerson is that um, he's chasing a criminal who's a private investigator and he sees the the guy like falls off a, roof a building or yeah. and dies and Ned accidentally bumps into him because he's in the alley and you know he sees that he can bring back people to life um, so that's how they get in but like Emerson is introduced because the pie shop is failing apparently you can't make money in a big city just with a p- just digital a pie, pie shop, shop. Yeah. yes. Um, so, you know, he, you know, that is how he gets Ned, who I think is pretty reluctant to show his gift ever, um, to do this is that, um, you know, Hey, we can save your pie shop if, if you can, you can continue making pies forever because that's the one thing he liked to do, I guess, you know, before. Okay. So (laughs) the show will give us more of Emerson. It'll give us more about the ants. I don't ultimately have that much of a problem with the mystery of the week being kind of forgettable because I I actually had to remind myself, well, a lot of shows we like have that issue too. I mean, like Buffy the Vampire Slayer or Veronica Mars can kind of be hit and miss in terms of what the monster of the week is or what the little problem at school is that week. They're very weird But it's not about that ultimately. It's about... It's more about the overall concept and the overall dynamics between yeah. these characters. It's 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 usually very weird though. Like the the dandelion yeah. car thing was very strange. You know what's not my favorite thing, mm. and it's just a Dave thing, really. I don't really enjoy corpses arising where you see like their eyeballs missing and yeah. like their head run over and stuff like yeah. that, and they're talking and it's kind of funny in a Tim Burton way. I don't really like that stuff, but no. I'm a little squeamish. And I it's don't. It's very Beetlejuice. Yeah. It's very Beetlejuice, <laughs> and um, I don't know. I don't think the show needs that. But there you go. Yeah. That's just my thing. Yeah. I don't like weird graphic humor, I guess. Well, what I thought was funny while we were watching it is you kept like, they would explain a rule and you kept like stopping the show and asking about like... I don't know. I just felt like (laughs) I I just, I'm testing it. I'm kind of saying, did they really think this through? Because I'm going to find a hole in the rules. I I don't know. I just was kind of like, well, this doesn't make sense. And then it would make sense a few minutes later. You know, I had to ask you like, okay, so (laughs) if he... If he um, let if he revives an animal or whatever, and then lets the animal live, is it only going to be another animal that dies? Does it have to be animal to animal, or yeah. can it ever jump from animal to person? You know, in terms of the exchange of one life for another. He yeah. said, "Oh yeah, it's just animal for animal." I was like, "Okay, okay." I just want to make sure that that's well. That's that was what I mean. Like all we have is what's presented in the show. So I mean, like there's no, and they they like pretty clearly in the narration at some point say like you know there's no well there's guys, no greater explanation there's an awful than lot of narration yeah there is yeah. so it's all right so i it's was okay. looking at the history of television narration because yeah, i know narration in movies is a big thing like there were lots sure. of articles on that but it seems like narration on television is relatively new i think they mentioned gray's anatomy where you know meredith does the narration you know sort of i've never seen gray's anatomy, never seen gray's anatomy. Well, no 
So I didn't know that had a narrator. It's okay. It's not a I mean, I immediately thing. thought of Arrested Development with the Ron Howard narration, <laughs> yeah. although that's a different kind of quirky well, narration. And that comes is. straight out of Wes Anderson and Alec Baldwin and Royal Tenenbaums kind of yeah. thing, I think. Well, I think that um, when I was reading the thing that Brian Fuller wanted it, like, he, well, he, he said he was like, like Patrick Story, uh, Patrick Stewart is reading him a bedtime story is what he wanted. Okay. So they got Jim Dale. He's an yeah. English actor. He's from the Carry On comedy movie series yeah. from... Britain. So Brian Filler's apparently a big uh, Star Trek fan. So. Oh, so he actually literally was thinking, he probably he wanted like, to get Patrick yeah, Stewart, right? but it's too expensive, I would imagine. But um, So uh, it reminded me, I was thinking about what other film narrations too, um, and um, All like About Barry Eve Linden? All About Eve came to mind with that yeah. George Sanders narration, oh, but it's yeah. different because he's a participant mm-hmm. in the film, but it's got that British, wry, yeah. sarcastic kind of thing going on. Yeah. God, I love his voice. Or Barry Lyndon. Barry Lyndon, sort of but that's, that's super dry. It's narrative yeah. <laughs> taken straight out of the Thackeray, William yeah. Thackeray novel. I'm sure it's just passages basically from the mm-hmm. book. But yeah, that has that too. Well, and so then all those a, Godard, we, we keep, we're talking about French yeah. New Wave film this week because off podcast, yeah. off not have not relating to anything, we saw together um, Umbrellas of Cherbourg, the French film by Jacques Demy from... Um, God, what is it? 58 or something? 58, something like anyway, that. Anyway, that doesn't have narration in it, but that got us thinking about French New Wave, got me thinking about Godard and Truffaut films I like, and all of those have narration. Mm. Jules and Jim with that yeah, narration. so good. Beautiful. Anyway. Yeah. It, it, it does kind of, I mean, Tim Burton, Wes Anderson, yeah, Jules at Jim, all of that sort of, sort of influences, I think. There, there were a lot of articles that I was reading that, you know, was saying that, like, there's maybe too much narration on TV. Because, like, I think 2007 was when it started being so mm-hmm. much. Maybe a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. but, like, like everybody had narration. I like the... They don't have it in this, but it was, like, the popular song with the thinking characters and then the voiceover, you know, yeah. to sum up the show. Well, how often is there a, an omniscient narrator like there is here? Because oftentimes the narrator in TV shows now that I can think of are participants in the show. Yeah. So, I mean, Blackish has mm. Dre narrating every episode. That's true. But he's yeah. just talking about what he's up to, what the kids are doing and his take on it. Yeah. But are there other shows that are kind of now around that came since then that are doing this sort of third person i I mean sorry omniscient narrator i don't know i mean other than arrested development i can't really think of any because it's really the it's the voice of the storyteller you know you're being they're telling you the story they're reading you the story it's a storybook kind of thing well i guess there's um the gossip girl which is another one that came up several times you know it's got Kristen bell as the narrator but she's she's like a character that she's kind of like i don't know I showed you Letter to Three Wives. It's kind of like yeah. that um, with Addie. Addie. I need to see that again. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> we weren't doing the podcast then, so you couldn't get my yeah, take on that. Yeah, I don't know that we finished it. That's, no, we did. We did didn't we? finish My Man Godfrey or That's I Fell right. Asleep. Okay. Uh, that, that was one of the sacrifices. Anyway, we're getting, um, we've been talking for a while and I want to, <laughs> <laughs> do we have any final thoughts on, on the show? Um, I have to say that I, for the person, probably for the person that I was at the time when I watched this, I probably liked it more then than I do now. Hmm. And I think it's just, I've seen a lot more yeah. television. I've seen a lot more movies. God, I led you with by the hand through Twin Peaks since then, too. Yeah, and I think that 
that there were a lot of, and what I don't remember is how well this gets. And maybe that's part of why it lost interest is that they weren't able to, it started with a great concept that was very interesting, but they weren't able to follow through because it is a very complex and high. That's my fear. I wrote down in my notes in terms of things that I possibly was concerned about was, Mm -hmm. can this concept sustain a series? You know, yeah. how, how I think is there the, enough potential yeah. in this simple little power and the couple of things in the balls in the air right now to yeah. really go for very long? Well, it's just I've seen so many. I, I think my taste is a lot more sophisticated than it used to be. I think that the look and feel of it and the comedy would have been enough to sustain me in the past. But now that I've seen so many great television shows and how they can be carried out well and how they can maintain a level I don't know if this is possible to maintain that level for inevitably or or for more than you know four or five episodes so I'm I don't know I'd be curious to see um but yeah it's it it I I remember at the time just being absolutely delighted with it because like there was nothing like that on television and it's very rare that you see this sort of thing yeah you know, that, that matches that sort of, I have this, I love, you know, comedy and I love bright and beautiful things and lots of fantasy, but I also like it tempered with that sort of darkness. So, so it's, it's rare to come across that. Um, but I don't know that it, um, it's not as impressive to me now, I guess. Is that, oh. yeah. Well, I'm enjoying it and, yeah. I, and I, <laughs> I hope and plan that we'll be watching more of it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a cool pick. Yeah. And, you know, it happened because we live near Half Price Books Half and it was there. Books, but yeah. actually, <laughs> if you, if anybody out there wants to go back and look at this, um, it's available on iTunes and um, Prime, you know, Amazon Video and all of those other things if you want to grab it. Or we got it for seven ninety nine used yeah. season one DVD set at Half Price Books. Um, so I'm sure it's out floating around there, too. OK, so that's about as much time as we have. Um, so thank you for listening. If you like the show, please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Pop, 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 podcast. We should have popcorn when we mm. record. Um, leave us a review on iTunes. It'll help other people find us. And follow us on Facebook to see what we're up to. We'll announce new shows. Just search for Shut Up and Watch This. And you can always drop us an email at shutupwatchthis at gmail.com. And um, yeah, we'd be happy to read it aloud and consider your feedback on the show. Mm. All right. See you next time. I think we're probably going back to movies next time because we're so. getting too many TV shows to juggle yeah. uh, off <laughs> off camera, off we, mic. We will right? continue watching The Prisoner as well. So, yeah. That's, yes, we will. Yes. Because we'll have to find out who is number one. That's true. All right. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.